0: Hello and welcome to the Riverside Church podcast. This week's sermon is read by Robin Aldridge and it's called The Love of God. Oh, well, good morning. It's a pleasure and a privilege to uh, be able to uh, share something from uh, the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, let me just pray before we start shall we. Father I want to pray that you will uh, burn up and consume all that I have to say on your altar, uh, that you might be honored and glorified in this place this morning, and that all of us will sense your presence and your spirit's touch. Amen. 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 Some of you will be aware that I go regularly ...to Timmermans Garden (laughs) Centre. I don't go to buy plants. I go to eat a cooked breakfast. You see, I once read in a diet... ...that it was a really good way to start the day. I didn't read the rest of the diet. (laughs) All I needed to know was... ...that I could start the day with a fried breakfast... It didn't work, as you can see. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, um, I, still, I still go. And on some days, I have encountered a middle-aged couple who also come in regularly. They walk in with their arms around each other with a smile as they gaze into one another's eyes. When they sit down, they continue to stare ...lovingly into one another's eyes. They hold hands. They smile continually at each other. They kiss regularly. And maintain eye contact. It nearly put me off my breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) But you see, there I was... ...looking at two people who were obviously in love. In human terms, they were ordinary people. But as far as they were concerned, each was the most beautiful person in the world. They saw no fault in each other. They gave each other unconditional love. And as I thought about it, I was ashamed. I was ashamed at my reaction. Because, you see, they were giving me a glimpse of the love of God. And that's what I want us to just have a look at uh, this morning. We've looked recently at the grace of God, which uh, leads us to be a people of hope. But the grace of God is, I believe, an aspect of his main characteristic, his love. It's not the only characteristic of God revealed in Scriptures. And I can't do any more in this brief time than give us a glimpse into this amazing characteristic of God. And why? Because it's vast. It's unlike our human experience or our understanding of love. It is so much bigger. It is unconditional, reckless, and without measure. But I want to start our study in an unlikely place in the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. You see, there are some Christians who believe that God started out angry, vengeful, wanting to duff people up, wanting to cause wars, wanting to kill people, and then suddenly, he changed. And he became an all-loving Heavenly Father who didn't have any nasty thoughts about anybody in the world. It's funny, isn't it? Because we actually say, this is our unchanging God, who is the same at the beginning, at the end. He's Alpha and Omega. For goodness sake, that doesn't make any sense at all, to think that God had this sudden character change in the middle of our scriptures. So let's just have a look at um, one of the characters um, that are revealed uh, in the Old Testament that I believe gives us a a fabulous picture into the love of God. But before we do that, I just want us to um, understand that the first person who was called by God, Abraham, didn't know or understand God. He didn't know who he was. He was called to move from where he lived to a place that he didn't know, to take his family with him, and he set off. He traveled in faith to an unknown country with no real understanding of who had called him or why. He put his faith and his trust in this unknown God, and as he did so, God began to reveal himself to him. He revealed to him that he was a God who was to be trusted. He revealed to him that he was a God who loved faith and obedience. He learned that he made unbreakable covenants. He learned that he performed miracles when Abraham and Sarah had a son in old age. And he revealed that he knows the future. And what was Abraham's response to all that? Well, quite simply, to love and to worship this unknown God. And to place his life, his family into his hands. And to believe in the promises that he had received. That he would become the father of a great nation. That he would obtain the possession of the land of Canaan as an eternal covenant that he would be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. And Abraham died trusting and believing that what God had revealed to him while he was alive would be transferred to his son Isaac, the son of the promise, and from him to Jacob. But let's just pause a minute and ask this question. Does it actually say anywhere in the scriptures, that the primary characteristic of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was that of a loving, heavenly father. Well, yes, it does. But on surprisingly few occasions. Of the 131 references to love in the Hebrew scriptures, only five directly relate to the love of God. The rest, interestingly, refer to our response to him, that we should love him. Famously, in Deuteronomy 6, it commands us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So what are these scriptures that talk about God's love and what can we learn from them? Well, in Deuteronomy 7, 7, it says... The Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept his oath that he swore to his forefathers. In Nehemiah 9:17 it says, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. In Isaiah 54.10, it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed. And in Psalm 91, He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings. His faithful love will be your shield and rampart and the scripture that uh, you read to us this morning from Psalms as well. And finally in Malachi, he says this, Jacob, I have loved. And it's repeated in Psalm 47 and in Romans nine thirteen. So what can we learn about the love of God from those passages? Well, his love is faithful, it's abounding, it's unfailing... It's extended to the nation of Israel and to individuals. That's good news. But actually, it only gives us a glimpse into his love and into this character of God. Why? Well, possibly because the Hebrew mind focuses on actions and not words. It's easy, isn't it, to say to somebody, Oh, I do love you. Oh, you are beautiful, I love you. But if your actions don't match what you've just said, then the person you've just said it to is not going to believe you and not going to be convinced. So it is in the acting out of love that we see its truth and its reality. It was true in the beginning and it's true today that love is a relationship that requires two parties to respond to each other. I want us to look at one story and one character in particular to show us about the love of God. And that's Jacob. When he was born, he had his hand twisted around his brother Esau's heel. You remember they were twins, both together in the womb at the same time. The Hebrew for heel is akeb, and that word means to twist or to supplant. And the other word, which also has a similar meaning, is akab. So his name in Hebrew is not Jacob, but ya-akob, which is a play on those two words. And it means, basically, that when he was named, he was named as a twister and a supplanter or else a deceiver. But why? Why should Joseph, this great patriarch of the Bible, start off as this character? Let's listen. Sue is going to read for, to, for us from Genesis 27, and I think it'll come up on the screen as well.
1: Is it on? Yes. Robin has asked me to read from the book of Genesis in chapter 27, in the first 38 verses, the story of Jacob getting his blessing. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau, When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare it me, some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father and eat it so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and he got them and he brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skin. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread that she'd made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son. He answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son. To know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah. Oh, the smell of my son is like a, the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed And those who bless you, be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? "'I am your son,' he answered, "'your firstborn son.' "'Isaac trembled violently and said, "'Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? "'I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, "'and indeed he will be blessed.' "'When Esau heard his father's words, "'he burst out with a loud and bitter cry,' and said to his father, Bless me too, me too, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He took my birthright, now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked "'Haven't you reserved any blessing for me?' "'Isaac answered Esau, "'I have made him lord over you "'and have made all his relatives and his servants, "'and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. "'So what can I possibly do for you, my son?' "'Esau said to his father, "'Do you have only one blessing, my father?' Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. Amen.
0: I don't know where your sympathies lay <laughs> in that story, but Jacob lived up to his name. He was an arch deceiver, and he cheated his elder son out of his blessing. You see, some people say, well, it wasn't really Jacob, it was his mother. It was Rebecca's idea. Yes, that's true. But when you actually read the passage, what was Jacob's reaction to her suggestion? Well, I don't want to do it because I might get caught out. Uh, but if I won't get caught out, that's fine. I'll go ahead and do it. And so he moves forward with his plan, and then at the end of it, Esau, not surprisingly, is a bit angry, and he's going to kill Jacob. So Jacob does the brave thing. He runs for it, and he runs off to his uncle Laban, I think the best bit of the story is the fact that his uncle Laban is a bigger cheat than he is. And he manages to cheat him, if you remember, he worked seven years to marry Rachel and then he actually marries the other daughter Um, and then he has to work another seven years. And so he continues this lifestyle of of deceit and dishonesty. And even when it gets to the point where he decides he's going to go back home and he's going to face his brother... Um, This is after many years. And he's going to try and put things right. What does he do? What does he plan to do? He's going to send his wife and his children over first. And then his flocks. And he's going to wait behind at the back. And if things look as though they're all right, only then will he actually come out to face Esau. So this is the kind of man that we're looking at. And then, something very, very decisive happens to Jacob. That night, while he's waiting to meet his brother, we read this from uh, Genesis 22 and verse 32, sorry, and verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two maidservants and his eleven sons And he crossed over the ford at Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When he saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God's face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob had an encounter with God. Many people believe that it was a pre-incarnate Jesus that he wrestled with and sought his blessing. But that encounter with God completely changed Jacob's life and his direction. From then on, he actually went across to meet Esau, Before anybody else, he confronted his brother. He lived a changed life from then on. Lance Lambert says this in his book, Jacob I Have Loved. The Lord used all Jacob's failures and fears to bring him to an end of his own natural strength and to bring him into a place of desperation, to the place where God could meet him and transform him. In spite of all Jacob's failings, his weaknesses, and even his sin, the words of the Lord in Malachi echo through the corridors of time. Jacob, I have loved. You see, the love of God cannot be explained. Why did the Lord love him? Maybe the statement in Deuteronomy 7 is the key. It says in that he loves you, Because he loves you. And that's the statement of remarkable simplicity and straightness. The Lord is declaring that he set his love on Israel because he loves him. The Lord set his love on Jacob because he loved him. There is no other explanation. You see, we might be able to try and find some reason why God loves us. I must say personally, I'm totally at a loss to understand why he loves me. It is beyond my understanding. And I can only come back to the word. Sometimes, you see, we like to think that God has a reason for loving us, that he's got a purpose for us. But you see, that's not true. If that were true, once he'd accomplished his purpose with us, that would be it, he would have no further use for us. That's not the truth. That is a lie. He loves you because he loves you. It is his nature. From a human perspective, the love of God may appear to be irrational, reckless, but it is unconditional. The story of Jacob reveals that his life is transformed by an encounter with God. So much so that he changes his name from Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, to Israel, which means he who struggled with God. We're told in Hebrews 11 that at the end of his life, he leans on his staff because his hip is still dislocated. And what does he do? He worships God. The fallen, twisting, deceiver, has had a transforming encounter with the love of God. And it's changed him. But isn't this interesting? Nowhere in scripture does it say, Israel I have loved, meaning the man Israel, once his name is changed. What God chooses to say is, Jacob, I have loved. You see, he loved him before he changed. He loved him before he had an encounter with God. He loved him with all his faults and all his failings. And that's good news. It's good news for us. We don't have to be good enough to be loved by God. He loves us anyway because that is his nature. What we need to do is to respond and to enter into a relationship with him and love him in return. I just want us to finally take a brief look in the New Testament because interestingly there's a similar pattern in the Hebrew Scriptures. There are 179 references to love in the New Testament but only a small number of those refer to the love of God mainly in 1 John. And what about Jesus? Jesus does not actually say anywhere, God is love. What does he do instead? He teaches through stories about the love of God. He talks about the prodigal and the father. He talks about the lost sheep and leaving the ninety-nine. And going after the one. But above all, it is his behaviour and his character that is the ultimate revelation of God. It's how he deals with the people. He unconditionally loves those he encounters. He forgives. He shows mercies to sinner. And what's their response? To love him back in return. It is his death on the cross that reveals God's reckless love for humanity to allow his only begotten son to die in our place that we might receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's actually summed up so well, isn't it, in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have everlasting life. Jesus came as the ultimate revelation, the ultimate expression of the love of God for the world and the people who he had created. And throughout history, people have responded to the love of God Many of us in this room here today will have responded personally to the love of God by committing ourselves to love him in return. Like Jacob, our lives will have been transformed. I remember when when I came to faith, I had tried reading the Bible from beginning to end and I didn't find that wonderfully helpful. I went to a, a church weekend at Cliff College I sat quietly before the beginning of a communion service, not thinking, not praying anything in particular, and I was completely overwhelmed by the love of God. Interesting, Sue wasn't there at the moment, it happened. She was on her way. So by the time she arrived, I was sitting in tears. In fact, I was sobbing. And that went on for hours. And she was somewhat perplexed by this. And not a little angry to see her husband reduced to a blubbering wreck in front of a church of people. Afterwards, I then, more annoyingly, spent five or six days doing nothing but grin. And when when I was reflecting on what had happened to me, I actually thought to myself, I'd had an encounter with Jesus and what I'd had an encounter was with his love. And I cried because I knew in that moment that I was forgiven. That he loved me unconditionally. And I smiled afterwards because I knew that I was free then to explore a new way of life with him. Now look, each of you in this room will have had your own stories. We haven't got time for you to tell them now. But I was just picturing in my mind, if I had given you a torch in here, and we'd put the lights out, and then I'd said to you, right, if you've had an encounter with the love of God through Jesus, switch your torch on. This place would be filled, I know, with pinpricks of light. You see, as we respond to God, we become lit up by him. And people don't see us, but him actually working through us. You just imagine that picture worldwide. How many people across this globe... Could switch their torches on and say, I have personally encountered and experienced the love of God, and I know it's true. And my response is to love Him in return. The love of God is powerful. It is outrageous, it is reckless, it is unconditional. And everybody in this hall, whether you have responded to the love of God or not, know this, you are loved by God. And if you haven't responded to it, Now might be a good time to do so. Let's just close our eyes. Father God, we just thank you again for the inexplicable wonder of your love for us. For those of you who've had that encounter, we just thank you for it. And we pray, Father, that you might just... um, enliven our love for you. Help us, Lord, to return to that first love. And for those of us who haven't responded to you, pray now in the quietness of this place for those who are going to do so. We Just thank you again for the transforming power of your love in our lives and as it will be revealed in the end upon this whole earth Amen (laughs)